That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host. We are recording sometime in late August. This is one of several episodes that will be airing while Victor is teaching at Hillsdale College. Speaking of Hillsdale, Victor is is the, well, let me, let me, I got to get this in the order. I always do it, Victor. I'll confuse myself. Victor Davis Hanson <laughs> is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. I'm pretty sure this podcast is going to be airing, I think, August 30th. Anyway, while you're listening, Victor will be at Hillsdale teaching, grading. I hope you're not going to be failing anyone, Victor. These these uh, series of podcasts uh, are based on questions that our listeners have sent in. we got hundreds of questions. And uh, it was difficult to pick and choose, but hey, we've got plenty and we're going to have some eclectic collection here on this first episode. But before we get to those questions, there is just one matter of interest that Victor is going to be talking about, and that's craziness at the American Historical Association. And we're going to get his views on that and then get to some listener questions right after these important messages. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, They've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. 
We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler. Hey, quickly about me. Um, I write Civil Thoughts, a weekly free email newsletter. You'll enjoy it. No strings attached, no cost, no risk. It's produced by the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic. That's where I hang my hat. Sign up for it, civilthoughts.com. Also, visit victorhanson.com. That's where all of Victor's works are. And much of the, those works are exclusive content. You can't read them unless you subscribe. Five bucks. It's, that's it. Five bucks. That's uh, the that's that's less than a gallon of gasoline, right, Victor? Ah, yeah. uh, oh, well. <laughs> depending on where you are, depends so, uh, on whether you live in California or not. Right, right. So, uh, hey, fifty bucks for a year. Um, you will regret not having done it sooner. VictorHanson.com. So, Victor, before we get to some of the questions, um, I, I I sent you, and uh, I was kind of not shocked, but disappointed, depressed. The Suicide of the American Historical Association. This is a piece uh, uh, written by uh, Philip Magnus for the American Institute of, for Economic Research. Yes. And in a nutshell, the president of the association, uh, uh, James H. Sweet, who I guess wasn't an absolute uh, lefty, uh, he cri mildly criticized what he called presentism uh, in in. Uh, history, like we're, we are, we are taking the views of 2022 and implanting them on 1619, 1776. For all I know, it's 44 BC, the same. And of course, when he wrote this and it was published column in the organization's magazine, and the onslaught came from the woke historians. And then Sweet did as what has disappointed many of us in these last couple of years of cancellation and wokeness, wrote a very you're going to say groveling? <laughs> I am going to say groveling. You know, like Obsequious, Drew, Drew, there's a, Drew, Drew, Drew Bledsoeian. Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I didn't understand. Uh, you know, here's another um, institution of, of uh, an academic profession. It's not, you know, necessarily academic, but, you know, American Historical Association. We see these kind of things in medical associations, trade associations, just another one where where uh, wokeness uh, seems to rule in the face of weakness. Victor, um, I'm sure there's a classical association that has has uh, uh, kind of mirrors this lunacy. Any thoughts about this before we get on to? Yeah, um, just two or three general ones. One is when you're confronted with a totalitarian totalitarian ideology and that's what wokeism is it's an ideology that says all inequality past present future is defined only by oppression and not by other extraneous factors so you have more money than i do jack it's not because you work harder you're smarter it's because i'm oppressed by some cosmic force anyway so that's an ideology and when you have say them which uh interrogators or you have the McCarthyites in the 19, 1950. I here in my hand I have the name of 209 suspect you know that not that there weren't but when you are you have the Soviet show you can't apologize if you're in the right you just can't do it and the more you apologize the more they they get empowered so Mr. Uh, Professor Dr. Sweet uh, did apologize, and he did so, as you said, in toadyish fashion, and it just incited them more. 
we knew it. We saw. It. See, even he admits it. So he should have been defiant and said, look, if you don't want me as the head of the American Historical Association, then damn it, have a recall election. See how far you get. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. I'm willing to take the consequences, but I have nothing to apologize for. I'm calling. And what was he calling for? He was worried that we, in an overly injudicious manner, are using the values of the present to use history or the study of the past for contemporary political purposes. And by that, he means that if some pioneer in a wagon on his way to California wrote a diary and he used uh, an inappropriate term, then we condemn the entire westward truck because it was plagued by racism, sexism, homophobia, transgender, whatever. But we use the the values of an affluent leisured society that has the benefit supposedly of a moral progression of over a century that's what so that's what he was objecting to so he wasn't trying to excuse slavery or the, any of this he was just saying if you put yourself into the mindset of the people at the time and the physical conditions under which they live remember in most pre-industrial societies, a woman might have to be pregnant 20 times in her lifetime between 15 and 35. And then out of those 20 pregnancies, maybe 15 would would actually not be miscarriages. And out of the 15, maybe 10 would come to full term. And maybe out of the 10 that came to full term, maybe eight would be successful. They wouldn't be breached or something. And then out of the eight, maybe five would live past the age of three and childhood diseases. So that's what you're looking at. And then if you look at the guy, the guy, the man, the husband, he was a farmer. 95% in the time of the founding were farmers. And his life was basically getting up at dawn and going to bed at dusk, working out in the fields to live one more day. And now you're going to go back and say, well, these people were oblivious to issues of transgenderism. Or they had certain you know, pre-modern ideas about ethnicity or diversity, or and that's what he was trying to suggest. And you know, the irony, Jack, is that I think he's the same Professor Sweet that is a man of the left. I mean, he writes about slavery and what how Africans were forcibly transported to the Caribbean and in North and South America. And he's at a very liberal history department, traditionally very, very left wing at the University of Wisconsin. So what we're watching is a man of the left whose entire research interest have been on woke issues, the exploitation of black people as slaves in the new world, and thereby was selected as the president of the American Historical Association, just writes a wishy-washy, milk-toasty, sober and judicious, mild little squeak about maybe we shouldn't go too far and use history as melodrama rather than tragedy. And they just nuked him and he fell on his sword. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. I had no idea how my horrible views hurt other people. Said, Sounds so rem reminiscent of the purge trials of the yeah, of the nineteen thirties. Yeah. Yes, he should go. He should go watch. He really should go watch. We have some of those tapes of the show trials um, that Barry and that was the beginning of the 
Beria era. He should right. go watch them. He should go watch the some of the Nazi trials when they brought most of the Nazis, the anti-Nazis that were tried were defiant, but some of them weren't. He, he should go listen to those. He should read accounts of the Salem witch trials. He should look at the Inquisition and see what people said under those periods. And it doesn't do any good is what I'm trying to say. The more, right. it, all it can do is protect his family. So if he thinks, well, I have a son that wants to be a professor, and this is why I'm, it won't work. It right. will not work. They will not, they're going to be in power. They're going to say, well, we took down the head of the AHA. Let's go to the next person. Right. Let's take down the president, uh, the chairman of the Harvard history department. Let's, and then they brought in the 1619 project and we get, that's like an old dog bone. It gets buried and dug up and then chewed again. And usually when it's completely discredited, they usually say, well, it was only a white man that discredited it. Or, you know, you constructed expertise in your field. Or I never said it was history, Nicole Hannah-Jones. It was only journalism. It was, it, was decided, it was intended to be provocative. No, it was intended to be pseudo history so you could become very wealthy and famous and the new right. york times could run it we could inject it into all the school districts curriculum so that was that it's depressing it's mirrored image in every single learned society and it, and it dovetails with the news today that joe biden is forgiving another round of hundreds of millions of dollars for student loans without any preconditions and you say to yourself do you wonder why there are 4 million less students than there were just eight years ago? Maybe it's because parents, this filters down to parents and they say, oh my God, do I want to borrow a quarter million dollars to put my kid into that place? Right. And, then, and the answer increasingly for half the country, nope, not this pig, non hic porcus. I'm not doing right. that. Well, I was... Uh... As a parent, uh, an idiot, all my kids went to state school. I paid the bill. <laughs> I should have said You weren't that. an idiot in the sense <laughs> that until very recently, the lifetime earnings over a, a, a lifetime of work, 30 years, was higher with a bachelor's. It is still, but not as much as it was, and it has to calibrate the interest on the student loan if it weren't paid off. Well, that's I did the, I did the oh, same there was thing. No, no, I took no loans out, and uh, you were, were, I was just uh, mimicking the, the popular complaint and a right complaint. Like, why the hell should I or anyone else be paying these debts off? I mean, where, I did where, the, where's I the did, money come from? Fantasy I land? I know. I did the exact same thing. I looked at, I you know, I was in my mid-40s, and I said to myself, one, two, three, here is going to be the tuition and they're going to overlap, but it's going to be a nine year period. And I'm going to need about, you know, for each one, some, I think one year there were, well, there were never three at the same. Yeah, there were one year. There were three at the same time. Wow. And I said to myself, I'm going to have to come up with, I think it was $500,000. And I said to myself, okay, I'm going to borrow this much and then I'm going to go out on the road and do what it takes speaking. Right. And I flew all over the United States. My daughter was very ecstatic. She would have a little email and I would put money in her account and then she would pay off her student loan. And she was almost there, almost there. Another yeah. 10,000 we're done. <laughs> so it was, that's what people do. And now we're told that if you did that, you're a sucker and a fool. You're a sucker, right. Yeah, And if you're out there right now and you're driving down 101 as a long haul trucker, 
or you're on top of a roof right now in Fresno and it's going to be 105 today and you didn't go to college, well, you're paying for it. You're paying so that the psych major that owes a quarter of a million dollars in his part-time teaching six units, that you're going to help him forgive that loan. And if you were another person, you're married and you have three children and you were going to get a second car for your wife and you decided instead that you wanted to do the patriotic thing and pay off your student loans at 500 a month. Sorry, we're not going to give you anything. You were an right. idiot because in Joe Biden's America, being thrifty and, and respecting your name and trying to pay off what you owe is a lot of a sucker. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're speaking to one, Victor. Hey, um, I'm, I'm speaking as one. <laughs> well, let's, let's call this, rename this podcast, The Suckers. So, yes. hey, we'll try and get in two questions here, Victor. Okay. And one will be about aviation policy. It may have a short answer. Of course, you're someone who's been tormented by aviation over the last few years. And the other question will be about civil war. Not the Civil War, but Civil War. And we'll get to the aviation question right after these important messages. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not... You should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show, the Victor's Way teaching uh, episode, one of six uh, that we are recording in advance of Victor's two-week term teaching up at Hillsdale College. This particular episode should be airing on uh, Tuesday, August 30th. So, Victor, this is um, the only person who submitted a question that that requested anonymity, and it's a, it's a little long. It has to do with um, 5G and things like that. And, and one of your favorite people. No, not Anthony Fauci, but, but Mayor Pete. So here's what Anonymous wrote. My question, show and tell item is about aviation. I'm a Boeing 747 freighter captain and regular visitor to the United States, a country that I love and have long admired since childhood. 
The recent rollout of 5G radio towers has had and is increasing to have a massive and as yet unrealized impact on radio altimeters. And he, this is called RADALT, widely used by aircraft the world over. This is acute in the United States in particular because the radio spectrum used by US 5G operators is much closer in frequency to the C-band RADALT bandwidth that power output is significantly higher and the transmitters are not angled groundwards as is required in Europe and elsewhere. My question is why Mayor Pete, as Secretary of State for Transport, that's what he calls it, we'll just call him Secretary of Transportation, has seen fit to sign off on this fiasco with no accountability. Why has it not been had broader exposure in the public arena? And why are the American people seemingly content to wait for the inevitable hull loss due to 5G interference before their sense of shock and outrage is unleashed? I fear it was ever thus. I've been flying airplanes for 42 years and I've seen my beloved industry advance leaps and bounds in terms of flight safety and evolution of culture across the world to be reflective of best practices, often, sadly, in response to accidents with large body counts. In historic terms, this 5G C-band radio interference is on any reasonable analysis, a massive leap into the dark ages. Put differently, it is a clear and present threat to flight safety. Something ought to be done. Why is a crash necessary to advance flight safety? Victor, there's a lot of learning yeah, I mean, in there. That's a lot of expertise that I don't have. All I can say is that I've heard of this before, and I've talked to people about it, and it seems to be that the airline industry is worried because in these major hubs, this 5G new technology interferes with their altimeters. And what's happened now is that I think the industry is trying to create filters or something like that to filter out and to make them immune from 5G. And in the process of developing that technology, supposedly, I think they call it mitigation. The phone companies are trying to say, you know, we're going to hold back a little bit or we're going to restrict service a little bit to you guys come up. And that was a FAA compromise. But I will say one thing. It seems to me that any time there is a problem in particular industries, especially things like cell phones or social media or the internet, the people that are worried about it are outgunned. So I know it's a multi-billion, billion dollar industry, the airline industry, but they're up against cell phone industry. And they... Uh, they're up against 5G and they don't have a chance. And the same thing is true of social media. You're not going to be able to touch those people because they have $6 trillion in market capitalization. They can do whatever they want. It's kind of like 1880, you know, the, the Southern Pacific or the Northern Pacific Railroads or the Union Pacific. I grew up with stories from my grandfather, you know, who said, well, you know, when we came, they sold us this land. My, they sold to my grandmother for $4 an acre and we had to improve it. And we did, and then they came in, and they wanted to know whether we could, they, 20 years later, in 1895, they tried to take it back, and we proved that we, it was theirs, and 
They went over there at Muscle Slough, eight miles away. They they fought it out with the railroad. They did. And that was, that's the basis of Frank Norris's great novel, The Octopus. So I think we're in that situation again where there's enormous amounts of money. And if Pete Buttigieg is going to be the adjudicator and says, on the one hand, I'm the FAA and this is the airline industry and this is the 5G band signal lobby and here are the airline companies and I'm going to find a compromise that keeps everybody safe until either the 5G has the technology that it won't interfere or the airlines have filters that will block it for their for their own gauges. He's not the person to do it. I don't mean that just because he's a sop, a fool, sanctimonious, self-righteous, and inert, but I mean that his record his record. All you have to do is go down, fly over the port of Los Angeles, and it is a mess. Whether you calibrate that mess by containers strewn all over the port, or ships out to the horizon backed up, or supply delays, or you want to fly like I have to do Saturday, but the last two or three times I've flown, if I want to go to Reno, it's what? 250 miles from Fresno. I'm talking, it was an 18-hour Homeric Odyssey to get there. I met Cyclopses and Sirens on the way, believe me, in airports. <laughs> Just <laughs> And on the way back, it was, I thought I was between a rock and a whirlpool. Right. So my point is that the rock of sirens, or excuse me. The sirens, snakes, yeah. Snakes, Skilla. And my point is that he's not the man for the job. He wasn't appointed to do the job. He has no expertise for the job. He was appointed because he ran for president and no one wanted to vote for him. And he was smug, as I said, self-righteous, sanctimonious. And they thought they'd put him in there and he thinks he has future political possibilities and it would be better to keep him close than outside. And then they would reward him for endorsing Biden. Remember, this all goes back to the South Carolina primary when Clyborne took a inert. He was like a Joe Biden was like a bicycle tire with seven holes in it that had deflated. And he, he just went out and got a pump and pumped him up. And then Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg, they all put little patches on. Right. And they said, we quit. And then they turned around to him and they said, OK, we put a patch on you. You old tire, now you're viable again, but we're going to ride you through the election. And here's the deal. I want to be a cabinet member. And then Bernie said, I want a socialist agenda. And Elizabeth Warren said, I want a real a lot of left-wing appointees. And that's how it worked. Okay. That wasn't a very good answer, but that's all I can do. That's No, that's uh, that's uh, uh, fine. Uh, well, I, I th- we may have time for also a personal question, and there are a lot of personal questions that have been submitted. I'm not get, I'm it, it's it's about your musical uh, tastes, music <laughs> I have taste, no but, musical talent though. Well, t- it's taste, but let's yeah. hold that off on that and let's get to the Civil War question. This is from Tom, and this is addressed Farmer Hansen, Mister Hansen, Professor Hansen, Great American Citizen Hansen. I write this question while I'm listening to your podcast, The China Connection. I'm very much enjoying enjoy listening, reading, and watching you discuss what is happening around the world and in the United States of America. I personally am not concerned about China or Russia. Both countries are very secular religiously, and I think blowing up the world is not as probable as a lot of talking heads believe. Uh, 
Both countries also have incredible problems within their borders, economically, population, and technically wise. So my question is concerning the United States of America. I very clearly see this country sprinting down the road to a civil war. Comparisons to the 1850s are pretty clear. Will the civil war be with states? No, but it would be down the political divide. Most Democrats are located within cities, so it would be a matter of encircling the cities and starving them out, tactically speaking. I don't want that. 800,000 to a million people died in the first civil war, maybe more given infections, starvations, etc. The only way I can see to prevent this civil war is with the media, but that's controlled 90 to 10% liberal to conservative. How can we clean up the media? Or is it a case of the genie is already out of the bottle? And this is Tom. And if I may say before you take this on, I don't think Tom is, is Tom is uh, uh, you know, back at civil, uh, headquarters plotting the strategy for a war. But, you know, it is a question on a lot of people's minds. Like we are getting to the brink of something. And does that brink entail violence i mean we have violence in the streets now but like what do we do just sit here and and, and yeah but, well, remember one thing dear reader and jack and everybody listening this whole civil war porn minute that was not from the right that was from the left i know that readers worry about it but what do i mean by that and i wrote a column called civil war porn and then insurrectionary porn so ask yourself if you're a civil if you think a civil war is on the horizon and it may be but who is prompting it who wants to make revolutionary changes and ram them through well who wanted to end a 233 year old filibuster who wanted a 180 year old filibuster who wanted to trash a 233 year old electoral college who wanted to get rid of the 150 year old nine person supreme court judges who wants to get rid of a constitutional prerogative for the states to be the primary adjudicators of voting laws who wanted to get rid of 60 years of 50 states to get in four more Senate. it was the left who wants to do really revolutionary things in the street who wants to for example swarm the homes of supreme court justices and not enforce the law that it's a felony to do that who wants to dog people as they eat dinner, as they went, as they rushed after Justice Kavanaugh, or as Maxine Waters advised? Important. She was only retreading, believe it, you know, Barack Obama's 2008 call to get in their faces when he was in Philadelphia. Get in their faces, he said. And so who tears up the State of the Union? Who denies minority members of the House, the minority party members, that they can't be on a committee? These are revolutionary acts. They're all done by the left, number one. Number two, so they're going to say, well, how about January 6th? Well, let's look at it. It was one day, and it was a buffoonish riot, and there's people still rotting in jail. And nobody wants to be transparent about it. This January 6th has no people on that committee from the opposite party unless they have no political future and they voted to impeach Donald Trump. And there's not going to be any FBI people called in and say, would you please give us the number of FBI informants at the event? Tell us what their role was and what their reports entail. And then we're going to 
We have nobody who said, who said that Officer Sicknick was murdered by a MAGA person and how did that false narrative become entrenched? And what are all the private documents between the White House, Capitol Police, Nancy Pelosi, and the mayor of Washington that might explain why there wasn't enough security, A, and why you put more troops in to Washington after the threat was over with Bob Wire since Jubal Early's raid on Washington in 1864. These are questions. And then let's compare that to the 120 days, 2 billion, 35 to 40 dead, 1,000 to 1,500 officers maimed, injured, attacked severely, and $2 billion of property. That it was a revolutionary act. That was dreamed up by Antifa and BLM. And if you go back and look at the stories and the braggadocio, not from me, but from them, they planned most of that on social media, including the May 31st assault on the White House grounds, where they got close enough to breaking through that Donald Trump fled to an underground bunker and the New York Times giggled, oh, Trump retreats. So the point I'm making is that if you actually look at the record, they're the one pushing the envelope. And then if you look at the literary record, such as it is, go read The New Republic, good leftist venue now, or The Nation, socialist, communist venue. And what do you find? Blue, blue exit and time to disengage. And they are systematic calls that blue states are much smarter. They have all the universities. They have all the investment money. They have all the tech. They're the blessed people that look out on either Europe or Asia, and they should quit. They should get out. Or they are triumphalist. It's only a matter of time before we went over America because we control ha, 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 the schools, the universities, professional sports entertainment, Wall Street, investment, high tech, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all coming from the left. And it's not coming from somebody who wrote that note. He's worried that it's coming, but he's not advocating it. So what does the left do then, Jack? They do what they always do. When they plant this civil war insurrectionary bug, they project. They don't want to be part of us, America. They hate the Constitution. They feel they're smarter and better and wealthier. But they don't want to say that they're neo-Confederates. Although, you know what's funny? Just as an aside, they are neo-Confederates. They have adopted nullification, just like South Carolina. 550 jurisdictions are sanctuary cities where federal law does not imply. It's sort of like they're in, it's sort of like a blue state mayor says, open borders today, open borders yesterday, open borders today, open borders tomorrow, in good George Wallace fashion. And they are the ones, they don't have big cotton, but they have big tech where they have these multi-trillion dollar industries that kind of warp the local economy, that run things as they do in California. Well, California is run by big tech just the way that the Old South was run by big cotton. That's who they are, and they project onto us that we're these gap-toothed, stinky insurrectionaries that should rot in hell in solitary confinement and be abused by our jailers as punishment for being insurrection. That's how they work. Right. What is really insurrectionary and revolutionary is going after a president of the United States and having a warrant that gives you free license to rifle through all of his documents and then not explaining why or what you did and then blasting anybody as 
unfair or illiberal for criticizing you and your agency while you're systematically leaking lies out to an obsequious press. That's what Merrick Garland does. That's a revolutionary right. act. And if you think Donald Trump was a revolutionary, you should ask yourself, who was his lowest learner in the IRS who tried to deny nonprofit right. status before an election to liberal groups? Who was his James Comey FBI director? Who is this Christopher Ray? Right. Did he raid? Why didn't he raid Joe Biden? Why didn't he raid Barack Obama's home? He had missing documents. Oh, he, they, they they had a they had a laptop which they knew was had. Yeah, why didn't he? Did Donald Trump said, you know what, Eric Holder? He said he was a wingman. He shouldn't have done that. He was DOJ. He's he didn't he didn't follow a congressional subpoena. He just he stubbed his nose. Go find him and get him on the street and put leg irons on him, just like he did Peter Navarro. He didn't go after John Podesta that was under a cloud and have a SWAT team arrest him. Right. He didn't do that. He didn't, you know, he didn't round up a bunch of generals and say, you know what, Joe Biden is a fascist, Mussolini, all of that stuff. So for all their talk about Trump, he didn't pack the court. He didn't say, we're in control now. We're going to end the, the filibuster. He didn't do anything the left is doing. Not that he might not have wanted to, but he didn't. He was the most autopsy probed, dissected, examined, right. re-examined president in history. And they are their insurrectionists. Remember that. They are the rebellious ones. They are the ones that are pushing to radically change or to use Barack Obama's words, we're only, what, eight days before we can fundamentally transform the United States. Yeah. Okay, Victor, we are almost out of time. But we're going to get to your musical preferences question or answer to a question right after these important messages. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show this uh, particular podcast, the Victor's teaching at Hillsdale podcast, one of six we're doing will be airing on August 30th. Yeah, Victor, we have a very brief question from Gary. Does VDH enjoy music? Now, what type does he favor? Do you, do, Victor, are you, uh, I, I don't know. I know I've never heard you whistling a tune or anything. What's, what's, uh, what are your proclivities here? I always listen to music. I do it all the time. And it's eclectic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I think if I'm just doing this by memory, but if 
I have Pavarotti, Rigoletto. I listen, my favorite, one of my favorite, there a lot of them are 60s groups, so people wouldn't right. remember The Weight by the band. I play that all the time. I like Bob Dylan, especially Knocking on Heaven's Door. I had that as my oh. answerings for my phone. Oh, really? Not Dark I... Yet. I remember that song. I play it all yeah. the time. You know what? I like leftist, nutty, crazy Joan Baez. She had that one early album where she really, and people don't give her credit, she made famous Bob Dylan. Right. She took his brilliant compositions and then she recalibrated them to make them mellifluous. So if you, you know, those songs like You Ain't Going Nowhere or I Pity the Poor Immigrant or One Too Many Mornings, Restless Farewell, I like that a lot. Yeah. I even uh, play... Uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, 500 Miles. I love that song. Yeah. Uh, I like that song. I'm trying to remember who, who wrote it. I'm trying to find it right now. You hear that? I, I, I hear. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, by the way. While Time you, to while say you, goodbye. Oh, okay. I looked at, I just, Botticelli. Is that his name? Botticelli. Botticelli. Botticelli, who's, who's. Yeah, I just blind, looked it up on the, the I, just looked, yeah. I just looked it up on the internet as we were talking because I couldn't yeah. remember it. But that was a song I like. That's kind of a popular one. I'm still going, so I'm doing by. You know what? Uh, you know that I like that one um, from Puccini, Gian, Gianni Sacchici. You know, Oh Mia Baba. What was the name of that one? It was a famous. Mobile. Yes. Yes. Oh, really? And then uh, there was a weird group that was kind of a gay four. What would they call the four non-blondes? What's up? Revolution. That was. I (laughs) I used to listen to that one. And my favorites. uh, I'm going crazy now. That's all right. Let's let's end it with this. Yeah. I like Mark Knopfler, especially um, things that one album he did with Emily Harris on the the road running. I don't uh, know it. You don't know Mark that? Mark Knopfler? No, yeah. I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm Knopfler, I think it's K-N-O-P-F-L-E-R. If This Is Goodbye and On The Road Running. And uh, I still... Oh, I was thinking of Joan Baez. That Place Here, Place Here, De Amor, that old medieval song that she plays. That was a great song. Um I had, a, I, 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 I had a daughter who passed away, and she. Right. I always play this song in honor when I'm driving, and that was on the Colorado Trail. That it's a very sad song about losing somebody, and I play that all the time when I'm driving. There's a lot of uh, people who sings who, that, Victor. Oh, uh, well, you know, it's kind of an old Western ballad. It's so about, like uh, the Sons of the Pioneers. Yes, they yeah. play it. Uh, right. The Colorado Trail, and it's. Uh, yeah. It's really a sad song, but it's uh, it's about a young girl who passes away, and it's wow. you know I, I always have a, an array too because you know I drive a lot to work, right, so I, right. I I play <laughs> I don't know if I should say this, but I play the Magnificent Seven um, theme song. Yes, and I <laughs> that's play, the Marlboro Country, that's the Marlboro Cigarette exactly, theme exactly, and I yeah, play yeah. Uh, Tex Ritter uh, High Noon. Okay. And then all of a sudden I get in the mood and I play left wing commie Jackson Brown, <laughs> the pretender. And I'm, my kids drag me to every concert that he comes. Oh. Uh, wow. I, that my is... good, I have a good friend, Clint Black. I don't know if you 
and he's yeah. a one he's a wonderful person and he's a wonderful musician yeah he's your buddy killing time yeah. is killing me <laughs> yeah that yeah this killing time is killing me yeah 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 so uh-huh. i talk and i talk to clint as much as i can every couple of weeks but he's been a wonderful friend over the years oh terrific and uh to show you what kind of guy he is he was coming to fresno and there was a very wonderful student of my wife who has a physical disability. You you wouldn't know it by her enthusiasm and eagerness for life. And we just, I just wrote him a note. And the next thing I know, he said, here are the tickets. We want you to, I sh-, you know. And so we went to the concert last December and he invited her back, front row seats, back before, after the show, pictures with Clint, toured his bus. You could not have, and we parked right next to it. And he was the most considerate, compassionate person you could imagine. He's just a wonderful guy. And I try to listen to almost everything. And I, and for years, I've listened to him live. And there's another song, though. You know, I don't know if you ever saw that. The There was a movie with Russell Crowe. And he was about his kid. Uh, what was it? The Diviner or the Water Diviner. And it was a great movie. It was under underappreciated. But, but Love Was My Alibi. That was a great song by a guy named Fogelmark. Okay. And uh oh you can't play uh you can't play anymore the night that drove Dixie down, can oh, you? Can't oh that song is by that the band is one of the great one great. Yeah, sentences. Joan Byers yeah, yeah. of all people made it famous. Right. They wrote it. It's a great thing. Yeah. yeah. And I like sixties things, some of those weird songs from the sixties, like remember Proco Harem, Whiter Shade of Pale? Oh yeah. <laughs> Did you like the, did you I, did you like the monkeys also? Yeah, uh, kind of, but I played that one all the time. Wow. And then my children, who are forty and thirty-eight, give me. Uh, I mean, they try. I try to tell them what to play, and they try to tell me. But they're they're getting older now, so they're not. But I used to like Neil Young, so I play albums. You know, Cowgirl right. in the Sand, Heart of Gold. That's but a great. I, oh, I, I that kind of yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. I kind of got over that. That Colorado Trail was a guy who died too early. I used to play all the songs. Cisco Houston, and he hmm. was a great, uh, a great uh, singer. And then there's certain songs that are not based that I just like, and they're not based on my, you know, my like of the person's entire work. Right. Work, right. You know, just particular. Oh, you know what I was going to say before I do that? I love my mom. When I was a little kid, I was five or six, and my bro- I have a twin brother. Right. And I have an older brother, and my mom was kind of on a farm in an 800-square-foot home, and she kind of got depressed. She had gone to Stanford, Stanford Law School, and she went. Home. She kind of gave up everything and came back, and my dad was a teacher and farmer, and but she wanted us to appreciate music, so she would play Roger and Hammerstein's music. Right. And we had to dance with her. Oh, my. And so we had some enchanted. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. In Bali High. Wonderful guy. Wash that guy out of my hair. South Pacific is just one of the great musicals. Younger than springtime. (laughs) And anyway, I I knew those. So I play that in honor of my mother. And then there was a weird movie, an Australian movie about a deal with... um, trying to remember it, but it was Nick Cave, that Australian, the writer song. I played that a lot. Uh, you know, I know that Neil Simone was a very problematic singer, but uh, 
who knows where the time goes. She did a version that Judy Collins did. That was also the theme song of a very good movie. I, I, yeah, I, it was, I don't know if it was Javier Brown. It was about uh, the revolution in the Shining Path. And somebody, I always like uh, You're So Cool, that, you know, you know that true romance movie uh, by uh, Tarantino. He wrote the screenplay. I, I yeah. Ridley Scott's brother did it. And You're So Cool. I play that all the time. I, I'm getting on, I'm getting into this. Oh, damn. Yeah. I, I listen I to like, a lot uh, of music. I, ha damn. I have uh, Ray when I'm coming back sometimes. Ray Charles. Uh, Ray oh, Orbison. Oh, okay. All right. Pretty woman. You got, it. I love that song. You got it. And then crying love hurts. I couldn't figure out. Maybe somebody listens. This is a guy who's a very um, conservative oh. guy. He had a big comeback. Roy Orbison. Is that yeah, Ray yeah. Orbison? You know, he's kind of pure white with those sunglasses. Yeah, Roy. Yeah, actually. Yeah, he's, and you think, he's a unique voice. Just he does. And he yeah. was wonderful. And he writes the same song theme. Yeah. Whether it's Falling in Love or Dream Baby or Blue Bayou or Life yeah, Fades right. Away. Whatever they are, they're all about a guy like him who loves a woman who doesn't like him. Right. And it's kind of strange. I like that song, uh, my daughter. Susanna uh, used to call me and she'd always play it to get me in a good mood. Not that I'd ever know anything about them. Um, it was the Cranberries. Remember them? They had Just, a song called Dreams and then Ordinary Day, Dolores or Reordan, I think her name was. She died tragically. I'm getting back into my high school favorite. He was one of the great tragedies of music, I think, modern music when Otis Redding died. He was just yeah. brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And he died in an unfortunate air accident right when he was at his, he wasn't even at his peak, but, you know, the, his rendition of My Girl yeah. or um, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, oh, or, Try a Little Tenderness, or what was that song? Fa, fa, fa. And I've been loving you too long. So I better stop. But I Big like yeah. music wow. and I play all yeah. the time. And, yeah. um, this this Victor, a column by you on what's on my what, what I'm listening to, I think, would uh, prove very popular. You know what I also <laughs> listen to? I listen. I said cowboy uh, music tracks. So oh, I, I love I, I love the uh, Max Steiner, the one that he did for the Searchers. Oh, that, okay. that John Wayne yeah. movie that right. is really good. I think the Sons of the Pioneers. You know, they they, they were they, in that right. Yeah, yeah they yeah. and. I'm not saying that I don't know 80s, you know, like The Journey, Faithfully, or Blondie, Call Me. I used to, or I used to listen to, I don't like who, I, I don't want to get into the, the people that are very, very political that I used to listen to, but I can't right. listen to them. Yeah, it's like Joni Mitchell, who's, yeah, who's just can't. terrific, but it, it makes me like not want to. Some of the people had the best voices were the Righteous Brothers. Remember the yeah. uh, Unchained Melody and and all of those they, they were just van morrison gosh tupelo honey brown eyed girl <laughs> i listened to that all the time wow and uh for my father's memory he was ave maria schubert you know he, yeah I, I, I play that a lot oh he did when I'm well, driving. oh okay i sing I, that i, 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 I sing that song. in mass so. i'm getting kind of exuberant when yeah. you ask this because I, I but i associate these songs with moments not in the present, not in the future, but in the past. And every right. time I'm thinking of something, 
I try to bring out, you know, I have a bunch of old cell phones or something. They're on there and I just plug them in. And I didn't until I got a new pickup. I didn't have any way I had, you know, they weren't Bluetooth. You'd have to plug right. them in and, and you could fiddle around. And if you're driving 180 miles and you don't want to listen to the same news story 100 times. Right. You know, the other group I loved was the Kingston Trio. Yeah, and I played. I played a lot of their <laughs> Tom Dooley. I played. Yeah, I, yeah. There's a lot of you know the Mighty Wind, the movie. Uh, I mean, the folk. Uh, yes, the yeah, folk I, music of America was really pretty cool, and it's interesting how I have a lot of those albums. They're you know they're they folk music of the '60s, and they're the right. lime limelighters and the Lemon Tree by them. I think it was Glenn Yarborough was great, and then the Kingston Trio, John Baez. I try to play all of those. All right. Victor, Barry we... McGuire, The Eve of Destruction. I play. <laughs> oh, that that is. That's, that green, is not... green, going away. All those <laughs> on the other side of the hill. Green, green, mm. going away. Yeah, so yeah, I, 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 I try to be eclectic. And right. lately I've been, because I've had a, a kind of a chronic illness, I've been getting depressed, not depressed in the, you know, the serious, but just. I've been attracted to Johnny Cash's last sorts of song before he died. Oh. Remember that weird Hurt album? Yeah. Where he where he 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 wrote the, I'm trying to find it. I just found it online. Oh, we've worn out his greatest hits. Um, he, it's yeah. just it's, terrific. Yeah. My son, my son plays and he he does a lot of Johnny Cash. It's and I try to, you know, he does Danny Boy and yeah. Street, Streets of Laredo. Streets of oh. Laredo is a great song. It's very oh, sad. It's a- it's terrific. It's, yeah, that was. A, it's been reworked so many times. Yeah, it was a theme in uh, <clears throat> the movie, the baseball movie, "Bang the Drum Slowly." Uh, I forgot about I that. Heard. It was, you know, yeah. another song I like, yeah. and I really liked him was the Marshall Marshall Tucker. Heard it in a heard it in a little love song. Is that what it was? It's a great song. I used to listen to the Marshall Tucker band a lot when I was younger. All right, Victor. And, now you have to. We could this conversation could be going on an hour stop, now. Stop. Yeah, you, get it, you turned me on. I'm and I sorry. Can't be yeah. turned off. I mean, I'm not sorry because this is it should have been just a whole podcast on on musical interests. So, hey, but uh, Victor, before we go, uh, I do want to uh, read one comment from from um, one of our listeners, and this happens to be a, a, a comment not on um, uh, Apple Podcasts but on your website. And it's from R. Ellen. And this has to do with the the show we record, you and I recorded recently about crime in America, which has gotten a lot of uh, attention. I think you were you were just terrific on it. He writes, or R. Ellen, I'm not sure, I guess it's he. I taught adult education in a California maximum security prison for 25 years. Wow. Nearly 100% of my aides and students were either Hispanic or Black. I never met one who thought of himself as a victim of white racism or the the system. Often they would comment that the leniency they received in their own homes, neighborhoods, schools, etc., contributed to an attitude of contempt that led to even greater crimes as adults. A, routinely, a routine commentary often went like this, quote, my sister is an officer in the LAPD. And my brother works for Google. I was the screw up in my home. I put myself in this place, end quote. Thanks for reading. So thanks to R. Ellen and the others who comment, many people comment on the podcast on your website. And of course, many, of course, do on on uh, Apple Podcasts and, and rate the show. And we thank them 
thank everyone for listening. And Victor and I have a bunch more podcasts to record, and we're going to get to that. You're going to be listening to them, uh, we hope and pray. And I guess this is where we say thank you very much for listening to the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you very soon.